Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Danielle Paradis, contributing editor at, uh, what's that website? Canada Land, based out of Edmonton. Uh, welcome to the show. Good morning, Jesse. Today on the show, Premier Jason Kenney makes a poo in his hat, puts the hat on, <laughs> does a little dance, makes sure that everybody's seen the hat. These are just the facts, people. I'm just reporting the news here. We're going to talk about the Alberta government's absurd report against journalists. And CBC management does not go looking through people's personal accounts to see what they are up to. They just don't. However, more fallout from the shitstorm. Welcome to Scatological Shortcuts, Danny. Is that what we're going with, Jesse? That's what it is this week. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to everybody by Paul Collins, Jennifer Zetto, Kendra Perrin, Chloe Wiles-Speakman, Spencer Campbell, Keegan McAvoy, Jackie Harkins, and Daniel Polatsky. Hi, I'm Daniel and I'm a student in Montreal. I listen to Candleland because Jesse manages to keep me both informed and entertained week after week. I think the whole Candleland team is doing necessary and excellent work with shows like Commons and Return to Thunder Bay. While I was sad to see Oppo go this year, I am very excited about Jesse's promise to introduce a full-time French language beat 
and not to toot my own horn, but I had called that Emily Nicola would be somehow part of that. Emily, super content pour toi, tu joins une merveilleuse équipe. J'ai hâte de t'entendre. Keep up the great work, guys. Danny, I've known for some time that Jason Kenney has this like Trumpian, the press is the enemy with a little bit of like a prairie twist, like the press is out to get the oil sands. I think he ran on that. I know about this war room he set up with like a government funded combat PR thing to fight journalists. Anyhow, this has taken a new turn this week and I'm wondering if you can just take us through it. This week, Vice News actually came out with an article where they had acquired one of the reports that's commissioned by what is called the Allen Inquiry. Stephen Allen, he is a forensic accountant, and he's the person who's been tasked with uh, what is called the Anti-Albertan Inquiry. Uh, it's a $3.5 million investment by the province. This is the result of a promise that Jason Kenney made on the campaign trail. Vivian Krauss has been talking about this for some time. She's reviewed some documentation and she really believes that there is a U.S. and um, environmental joint conspiracy to prevent uh, Alberta from being able to get their product to Tidewater. This was an important message to Albertans because we are in the middle of an economic depression. We're not seeing $100 barrels for oil and gas and it's very challenging to balance our budget because we are a resource economy. And there are entire communities that are supported by oil and gas here. That said, the inquiry has sort of been talking both sides out of its mouth. And I think the report that was released from the inquiry, which was commissioned by them but isn't their final report, hints at that. Because on one hand, they say the inquiry and, and the website that explains it is saying we're not trying to prove or disprove climate change. It's not what we're looking at. On the other hand, uh, this report is just pages and pages um, where they, any environmental activity or any mention of climate change seems to be really suspicious. That was a very fair and reasonable explanation for something that I think is just wild. Um, <laughs> first of all, the anti-Alberta inquiry, it's not the inquiry that's anti-Alberta, it's an inquiry into anti-Albertan practices. And sure, they're not taking a side, they're just inquiring. Vice had the story, it was Jeff Dambicki for Vice reporting, Alberta inquiry paid $28,000 for a report smearing hundreds of climate journalists. You know, whenever you read something like, like the government paid this much money for this report that's doing something bad, it's usually like they paid a million dollars for this report that's audacious or they, or they spent way too much money for this report that's audacious. In, the, in this instance, they paid $28,000. I think they got what they paid for. I think they overpaid. That's true. It's both very little for a report with the ambitions that this report had and way too much for what was actually written. Who wrote this report? This report uh, was written by a Dr. Nemeth. Uh, who I, I, I is not affiliated with any research organization or university. This document, it's called... A New Global Paradigm. Understanding the transnational progressive movement, the energy transition, and the great transformation strangling Alberta's petroleum industry. This is a report, people, it's got to be true, that billionaires George Soros, Michael Bloomberg, the World Economic Forum, the Rockefellers, uh, they're leading an international movement to catalyze massive economic and social changes under the pretext of limiting uh, global, it's just a pretext of glo <laughs> limiting global carbon dioxide emissions. The report, Danny, 
it contemplates a certain future, if we keep going down the path we're on, in Canada, in which life, quote, will be constantly monitored, short, cold, and miserable, just like pre-industrial times. <laughs> Terrifying stuff. And who's to blame? The media. Can you tell us a bit about what role the media plays in this great conspiracy against Albertans and freedom? Uh, yes. So the media is covering this information. I suppose the crux of the matter is whether or not climate change is true, and, and most of us do believe that it is. This report obviously doesn't believe that. So if you you have to come at it from that perspective. Wait a second. Who are you, who are you working for? <laughs> who paid you to say that? I guess you, technically, Jesse. <laughs> the report goes into the Society for Environmental Journalists, who are describing their mission statement as assisting journalists with responsibly covering complex environmental issues. And then it really goes on to take issue with progressive organizations such as the Hewlett Foundation, Howard Foundation, Wilderness Society. And it, it sort of insinuates that the only reason a journalist would cover um, anything about climate change is because they're a part of a transnational progressive movement with the intention to, although it doesn't say bring Alberta down, that's kind of the implication here. Here's from the report. But what if the revolution could take place without violence because people were convinced to voluntarily overthrow the system in order to save the world? This is what the transnational progressive movement is working towards in 2020. It goes on to say that uh, essentially the entire media in Canada is captured by this great transformation movement. And like the connection they draw is the fact that there is this society of environmental journalists. I guess that's the connection. Though not everybody is guilty here. The report says there are exceptions like the National Post and Sun News Network. Sun News Network has been off the air for years. Uh, this report is written by a British woman. Um, I am angry but I'm, but it, like, it, like, I feel like it's important to be angry about this more than I feel angry about it because it's so silly. And I think that um, if the idea for years, Danny, has been that, um, and this is like, you know, what Ezra Levant wrote about in, in, in Ethical Oil, his book, and this is like, we've been hearing this for years that the media is in the tank mm -hmm. and funded by tides and funded by these foreign interests, and and the oil sands are, you know, are the most ethical oil in the world, but they're being targeted under the guise of environmentalism. Now you've got a government legitimizing that conspiracy theory and saying we're going to prove it, we're going to pay people to do research, and they're going to show this. So it's hard for me to be angry when the result of that is this like sad trombone. <laughs> There's nothing tangible in this, even in a conspiratorial way. Like, I don't think there's one article mentioned or a factual uh, error mentioned. There's just the same kind of like, this is connected to that and therefore they're all in it against us. So it's hard to get angry against something that's so sad and pathetic. Well, we haven't seen the final report from the commission either. And there is good reason to be angry. There's good reason to be really concerned. Going after journalists for covering the truth is very <laughs> McCarthy era, uh, the anti-Albertan inquiry as well. There's just a lot of messaging in here that's extremely troubling. And there's been some trouble reported uh, with the inquiry itself in that environmental groups haven't been engaged. So Greenpeace Canada, for example, is an organization that will undoubtedly be maligned if you think about if you were to ask an Albertan or, or maybe even across Canada, who's against the oil sands? Greenpeace is, of course, an organization yeah. that comes up. And yet they haven't been contacted by the inquiry to make any kind of comments. 
And what is the point? That's what I find myself asking about this entire situation. So, okay, Vivian Krauss produced a movie. She's worried that there's a global conspiracy. Keystone XL was just canceled. That may not be a global conspiracy. That may just be that the industry, uh, oil and gas industry, is in decline and people who are looking beyond five to ten years, where we're certainly going to keep using oil in the short term, where they are looking further than most politicians do and deciding, okay, we have to make adjustments to how we fund these things and, and how we can shift to funding for a more renewable resource. Yeah. I mean, you know, Vivian Krauss is somebody who has been, uh, in my opinion, kind of a low rent bagman for this uh, this theory where she gets various research contracts and speaking gigs to kind of like prove that this is so. The problem, you know, with distinguishing this conspiracy theory from reality is that many of the things we're talking about are true. It's true that some billionaires are funneling huge amounts of money into various types of ways to fight climate change, to educate about climate change and to stop climate change, which is consistent with some very wealthy people saying, wow, I accept science. The world is in serious trouble and I have the ability and the resources to do something about it. And it's consistent that like you'll find some of the same messaging in journalists' work which is explainable either by a massive conspiracy or the fact that climate change is real. So it's a bias that will keep confirming itself down the road. And there is a day when the truth catches up with you. And I just see this as that. Kenny ran a campaign that was not just counterfactual, but kind of counter-reality, like telling Albertans things they wanted to hear, that it was it was possible to reclaim the glory days by fighting uh, these anti-Albertan influences. It was possible that Keystone would go through. It was possible to beat the environmentalists, but the biggest threat to Alberta isn't the environmentalists. It's that the you know massive investment funds, trillion dollar investment funds, are divesting completely from fossil fuels, and so he was able to grab power with that messaging. But now he's kind of got to follow through on those promises, and this is just sort of the inevitable sad result. And I guess I guess you're right. The thing they get angry about is like it's it's never cool or okay for the government to be targeting journalists for simply reporting what we know from science to be true. Like that's scary. Like here's here's our multi-million dollar campaign, our war room, our inquiry into the anti-Albertans. It's scarier more by the technical facts of it than the impact because I don't know, from my remove he just looks ludicrous. The Canadian Association of Journalists, I just wanted to point that out, have come out condemning Alberta's efforts to discredit climate journalists. It's certainly an embarrassing discussion. We do have um, people who do cover oil and gas and climate change uh, locally. We have Emma Graney as well as Max Fawcett, who used to be the editor for Alberta Oil and used to work for the Notley government in the climate office. So there are very intelligent journalists, very fair-minded people. I, uh, I've been out for drinks with them, and they don't appear to be paying for drinks with, like, the Tide Foundation. Yeah, but you would say that. Well, I mean, they haven't bought my drinks, and I just feel like <laughs> if they are, <laughs> then they should be paying for everybody, right? Like, what, what good is that activist money? We've already established your agenda. <laughs> That's right. The full results from the Allen Inquiry are expected on January 31st. And that's where I do expect some more detail about exactly which journalists are part of this conspiracy. Danielle Paradis, we have so much to duly note today. I want to duly note a brand new Canadian media org that has popped up called Boz. 
and it is co-founded by somebody who's been on this show before, Jaskaran Singh Sandhu. This is like a micro news org. They're starting out Twitter account Substack. It features opinions, ideas, and original reporting for the Sikh and Punjabi diaspora. The reason I'm duly noting them is that like right out the gate, they scored like a pretty solid scoop. This is an interesting dynamic of Canadian media. We often have politicians giving interviews to French language media or Mandarin language media or Punjabi language media. And uh, when they do that, they will sometimes say things in these other languages that they wouldn't say in English. And I've thought before, you know, if you just translated every time they did that, I bet you'd just like always be getting scoops. Well, Boz actually did that. And right away, they saw liberal MP Ramesh Sangha on Y Media in a Punjabi interview parroting these totally debunked Indian state media accusations about former minister Navdeep Bains. There's all these conspiracy theories going around uh, about why Navdeep Bains departed from politics. And here he was saying things he would not say in English. And Boz just said, OK, well, here's what he said. And the impact was swift. Sangha has been booted out of the Liberal caucus. The story got picked up by major media outlets who I think, as far as I can tell, are behaving decently in crediting Boz. More importantly, Danny, Instagram poet Rupi Kaur retweeted Boz News to her quarter million followers. And so I guess what I want to do is uh, welcome to the world, Boz News. Duly noted. I wanted to just highlight this story out of Quebec. 19 media outlets in Quebec have signed an open letter calling on the Quebec government and public health authorities to give journalists access to the province's health institutions. What they're talking about in this letter is a concern that they're not able to accurately capture the pandemic and the effects of the pandemic because they're not being allowed into these rooms to to take pictures. And that's something that it's important because it's important to bear witness to what's happening in our healthcare system. You think about the people who have become COVID truthers and if they're not seeing these photos, then doesn't it just continue to reinforce that this is some sort of Chinese conspiracy or government conspiracy? Pick your favorite conspiracies and who you want to blame. Duly noted. Okay, next one for me. At an anti-mask rally, a young Dundas Square, a uh, city TV camera operator was kicked out by the cops. Uh, and it, it was just a dumb cop who didn't know that uh, media are essential services. And when city complained about this afterwards and said, no, he is essential, we are essential, the police confirmed, yeah, yeah, we've made sure the cops now know and your cameraman can come back. But it is something that I, I took note of because... When lockdown happened and this category of essential worker was necessary to go out and work, first of all, who knew if lockdown was going to be more than a week or whatever? And we were just like relieved that media was even considered essential at all. So the way that they defined media was under telecommunications. Here in Ontario, it's under telecommunications, radio or TV are essential workers. I was not really satisfied with that as a uh, definition of who's allowed to go out and do journalism, but okay, I was, I was in a permissive mood because I know government was doing the best they can. Now we're living in lockdown in some kind of ongoing way. And if that camera person had been for a digital news outlet, holding up their phone to report the news as opposed to a TV news camera, I guess it would have been okay for the cops to throw him out of there. I mean, I support this guy's right to uh, report the news entirely. I'm glad that he was able to return. But it just occurred to me like, wow, we are living in a situation where 
it is against the law to go and report the news unless you are in a tightly defined definition of journalist as set by the provincial government. And that's the society that I live in now. Canada Land squeezes in because we're syndicated on radio, so we can still do our jobs. But uh, why limit to radio and TV that those who are allowed to go out and do journalism? It feels like that's at least uh, deserving of some notation. Duly noted. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Danielle, I want to return to a story that I guess originated with the Canada Land story, but but uh, and we've heard about it uh, last week. Ryan and Karen were talking about it, and other people were first to break the most recent developments of it. What am I talking about? Um, people will know the bones of this. Uh, Amar Khan was at the bottom of a hierarchical organization. Amar Khan was, I think, a 24-year-old young temp journalist at the CBC, an organization where at the top, it's a technicality that Don Cherry is broadcast by the CBC but employed by somebody else. You've got somebody at the bottom, and then at the top, they're broadcasting, glorifying this old bigot, and he's saying atrocious things. And that's the company that Amar Khan works for. They're putting Don Cherry on the air, and he's saying that these immigrants come over here, and they're ungrateful, and they don't wear their poppies. And Amar Khan said something about it, as we are supposed to say. He said that this is racist, and that this has something to do with why brown kids don't like playing hockey. And Canada Land found out... And I can say now we found out from him, he was an anonymous source at the time, that uh, the CBC asked him to take down his tweets. And I'm getting into this now because there's been some development on this story. I'm going to say a couple things about it, though, that uh, just my own reflection to add to a lot of voices. When 
racialized journalists and women and people in the field talk about, and they often talk about it on Canada land, things like microaggressions or lateral violence in the workplace. I know that there are people out there, I know because I read my email, who roll their eyes and think that this is some millennial whining and like, oh, microaggressions, you've got some micro problems. And they fail to see the hellish reality of how things actually play out. And I think that this case, because there was an arbitration over this and the arbitrator's ruling went public and we got to read step by step what happened to Amr Khan after the CBC asked him to pull his tweet, why they asked him to pull his tweet and what happened to him afterwards. This was a rare chance, Danielle, I think, where people got to see documented in in, in plain words exactly what microaggressions look like and how this very vulnerable worker came in to be a target where his colleague and boss were conspiring against him, going into his personal messages, taking out of context material that would make him look like a homophobe or a sexist, completely inappropriate shit. I don't even want to engage with this. Well, is he a homophobe or a sexist? Because we shouldn't even know about what he was talking about with his friends. Everyone was right to be disgusted by what his his colleague and his boss did. But the part of it that I felt was undealt with until this week, and Manisha Krishnan advice broke this aspect of it. The part that I think somebody was getting off easy was at an early stage, his boss went to her boss, one of her bosses, Paul Hamilton, who basically is an executive at the CBC who runs their standards and practices. He's the grand poobah if you've got a question about whether the rules have been broken. It was Hamilton who said, if Amr Khan wants to be an activist, he should step down. Everyone hears what they want to hear from Don Cherry. And there it is right there. If you want to say that racism is racism, get the fuck out of here. You're no journalist. That's activism, says the guy who runs the CBC standards and practices. There were no repercussions for Paul Hamilton until just recently. And what Manisha Krishnan reported was that a letter from over 100 CBC workers called for, not for Paul Hamilton's resignation, but what they said was, it shouldn't be this guy and it shouldn't be any guy or anybody. It should be a panel of people who are making decisions about whether the rules uh, have been broken. We should share that power. That's uh, the news from Anisha, who's been doing a great job of covering developments on this. And I was just glad to see the story move there because it's the systemic structural stuff from on high where I think the problem really rests. Oh, absolutely. Like if you think, I don't know if you're familiar with Nextdoor or if you're on it, but even they do better than this when it comes to looking at standards. Even they have team leads, people weigh in on whether or not something is appropriate. So the idea that one person should be the arbiter of what is journalistic integrity or whether or not somebody's following standards That seems like a very outdated concept. At the very least, there should be a panel. And there needs to be some recognition that for people of color, journalists who are people of color, it is impossible to separate your lived experience from the way you react to comments that are are racist. I'm thinking of this story I just read uh, in APTN about an indigenous woman who died in a hospital, and it seems that there wasn't a lot of care given to her. Like, how can I take that as an Indigenous person with a sort of impartiality when when you can see that can be you, this has directly affected you, and to pretend that everybody should aspire to this sort of like middle-aged white man notion of, I don't have any biases, I don't like anything, I don't dislike anything. 
I just thought we were done with this. And I think in 2021, we should finally leave it all behind. Well, the empire strikes back, you know, like it's interesting to see how when there was a big noise made over the summer, everybody was kind of uh, with power was on their back heel saying we're going to change uh, changes coming. But then the way things were tend to reassert themselves. And, you know, CBC is mumbling some letter to everybody saying, everybody, we know that you're really upset about this, you know, but please, please trust us. We are not in the business of, of reading your personal messages. However, <laughs> and they actually said, however, in this instance, we kind of I had to do it. They assured us that they were going to have internal processes to deal with everybody's concerns over the summer. But I think it's just going to continue to take these things going public and other outside sources humiliating them until these changes happen. Like that, like that's what what actually makes institutions change a lot quicker than these internal processes. And you know, this might not be unrelated to this front page of the National Post. I do see this trend of a pushback against whatever progress was made over the summer. So the National Post had a, a front page that I think went largely ignored online. And it's interesting also, kind of as a side note, the National Post is packaging stories for print very differently than for social media. And it's almost like they're kind of segmenting their audience. They know their print audience will be okay with certain things that their online audience, it's going to cause trouble. So it was a lot more buried online than it was in print, where it was on a, a big front page where Barbara Kay has announced Jessica Mulroney not guilty. Wow. Didn't see that one coming. Uh, Jessica Mulroney, it turns out, writes Barbara Kay in a 17-minute read. This long read from Barbara Kay. She's got the receipts. It turns out Jessica Mulroney, writes Barbara Kay, was stitched up. She was, she was not a racist all along. And these text messages prove it. But the rest of the media won't publish them. And this whole thing, first, I'm like, didn't Jessica Mulroney, like, acknowledge that she had done something wrong? Didn't Ben Mulroney like step down from one of his jobs as acknowledgement that they had done something wrong? Like I was unaware that there was this uh, voice in the wilderness crying out for innocence. To remind people as quickly as I can, at the essence of this story, Jessica Mulroney apologized because when she felt like she was being unfairly uh, publicly dragged by a black woman named Sasha Exeter, who's an Instagram influencer type person, Jessica Mulroney basically said, stop doing that to me or I will call your sponsors and I will like cut you off from your livelihood. That was the thing that she was exposed for having done. And that's the thing that she apologized for. Barbara Kay says, no, I've got the truth. Danny, I actually read this article. Me too. And I'm kind of mad about it. Wasn't it like torture? To, like it was so painful to read this thing. It was really bad. I feel like I need to bill you extra. <laughs> I mean, basically, it does give you more information about what happened. And it's like Jessica basically is just going back and forth in these text messages to Sasha Exeter, profusely groveling, apologizing. I'm so sorry if I offended you. Please don't humiliate me further. Please don't humiliate me further. I'm so sorry. And I'll concede that Sasha Exeter doesn't look great in this exchange because as Jessica, I think, begs, Sasha does not relent and uh, says, you know, just so you know, heads up, I got three uh, inquiries from various news organizations about this, basically saying, I will be talking about this publicly. And Jessica Mulroney is saying, no, no, please don't. And it is then that she does what she's accused uh, of having done, which is says, if you do this, I will call up your sponsors. So it's like a more fulsome account of this triviality, but it doesn't change the actual thing that happened. And I guess I bring it up mostly because like 
Denny, I can understand. I don't agree, but I understand with journalists who felt like Wendy Mesley got a raw deal. Like that Wendy Mesley served as a journalist for decades and cared about her work and they had personal relationships with her and, and collegiate relationships with her and that this one incident cost her everything and they, and they went to battle for Wendy Mesley. Uh, and they weren't willing to let Wendy Mesley's reputation go without standing up for her. But Jessica Mulrooney? Like, <laughs> like the establishment can't spare Jessica Mulrooney. <laughs> It's like, uh, if they can get Jessica Mulrooney, none of us are safe. I watched this whole thing play out over the summer where it was like, Jessica apologized, Ben kind of apologized, and then the Mulrooney name is tarnished. So what do I read in the Globe and Mail? Like shortly thereafter, out of the blue, it's an op-ed by Brian Mulrooney on like, you know, Canada's international affairs or something. Just like, reminder, everybody, uh, we're not just a tabloid family. I'm a serious statesman (laughs) with opinions. And it was not enough to save Jessica's reputation. So months later, it's the front page of the National Post that we don't have the full story. It's a bit too-too. Culturally, there's this trope of the angry Black woman. I think Barbara Kay is really leaning on this trope. In this article, she really, you know, Jessica Mulrooney is the victim here uh, from this perspective. And yet... Sasha Exeter, who, you know, experiences life as a woman of color, and she talks about that frequently in the communication back and forth with Jessica. It just seems like Barbara Kay ignores that entire perspective because, of course, she would because that's all just woke culture nonsense. The first line really just tells you what the story is about, right? Cancel culture is pandemic today, but the virus was already in patchy play 30 years ago. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, it's a callback to like, you know, the, the first victim, the canary in the coal mine was June Colwood, is uh, Barbara Kay's argument there. Listen, Barbara Kay has to even like kind of footnote and annotate um, in order to kind of accept this new revisionist narrative of this thing that I think we've given far too much attention to. You have to accept that when Jessica Mulrooney was apologizing to Sasha, like Barbara Kay has in parentheses, There's like a transcript and Jessica's like, I'm so sorry. And then Barbara Kay interjects, Jessica doesn't even know what she's apologizing for here. Mm -hmm. She's just so terrorized by this angry black person. So you have to accept as part of this new narrative that Jessica is just um, falsely apologizing and falsely contrite. And that she's broken. There's a line there too, one of Barbara's editorial lines about finally Jessica breaks before she makes that threat about... um, going to the brands. That's it. She wasn't really threatening to to cut off, to go and complain about Sasha. It was all she could take. I don't know what to tell you. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. Danny, thank you. Thanks, Jesse. Listen, you can email me at my brand new email address, jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything you send. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Danny, where is your Twitter account to be found? At Danny Parody. Our website, which you are uh, helping us edit now, is CanadaLand.com. This episode, produced by Tiffany Lamb, with additional production by Kevin Sexton. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt, and our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do... We could use your support, and we'd like to give you some ad-free podcasts and some other stuff. So go to canadaland.com slash join, or just click the link in your show notes. It takes like a minute to support the production of this and everything else that we do.
hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.